When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has great done, done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Those are the first three verses of Psalm 126, which along with Psalm 124 and 125 are the psalms appointed for today, Tuesday, August the 16th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We're continuing our look at the book of Judges. Today we're in chapter 18, the first 15 verses. In John's Gospel, we're in chapter 5, verses 30 to 47, and in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, we're in chapter 8, the first 13 verses. So remember yesterday we met this man named Micah who lived in the hill country of Ephraim during the period of the judges and a Levite who had previously lived in Judea in the land of Judah came there and was seeking a place to sojourn and Micah offered him an opportunity to be his personal priest and in fact had already set up a shrine with his own gods and all that stuff and so the, he promised the priest you're going to get get new clothes you'll get a place to live you get 10 pieces of silver a year and and the and this priest said sure sounds great so that's where we are so in those days there was no king in Israel and so we're told that in in a way of setting up, there's nobody to oversee this. So every tribe did what they needed to do to survive. There was nobody who oversaw the entire thing. So they they were intended to have these judges, but at the time it's unclear that there's even a judge operating in um, in Israel. So and in those days, the tribe of the people of Dan, and Dan is the tribe from which Samson comes, was seeking for itself an inheritance and I think it, it looks like Samson was more or less the last judge in many, many ways. Uh, so Dan was seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in, for until then no inheritance among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. Now, it, it's because they hadn't fully conquered the land. And so the, the area where Dan, where its inheritance would have been, was still ruled by the Philistines. So they decided, yeah, let's go see if we can find some other place to be. It's, it's harder to drive out the Philistines in spite of the fact that, well, God promised, <laughs> and Samson had begun the destruction of the Philistines. So they set out five able men from the whole number of their tribe, from Zorah and from Eshtael, spy out the land and to explore it. This is something they've done multiple times, right? I mean, it's what, what Moses did in the wilderness. He sent the people, into the, sent the spies into the land. They come back and they give a good report of the land, but a very uh, bewildering report of the difficulty that's going to be uh, in taking that land. And then Joshua sends spies out, who then come back from Jericho and say, hey, these people have been living in mortal dread of us for a long time. So <clears throat> they came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and lodged there, the spies did. And, they came, and when they were by the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. I don't know how they knew these people. Dan was next to Judah. Their inheritance was right next to Judah. So it's quite possible that they had, these guys had run across him before. And they turned aside and said to him, who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? And what is your business here? And he, the priest, said to them, this is how Michael dealt with me. He has hired me and I've become his priest. In other words, I got a good gig here. So I came here. It was a good deal. And they said to him, inquire of God, please, that we may know whether the journey on which we are setting out will succeed. And the priest said to them, go in peace. The journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord. Now, it's, it's odd because who has any earthly idea who the Lord is here? I mean, remember yesterday, this guy's a Levite, so he is dedicated to the Lord, Yahweh. 
And then yet he comes out here to Micah, who, who says, oh, you can be the priest, and these are the gods you're going to be a priest for. And then he ordained him. So that's not how you became a priest. Some random guy didn't ordain you. Anyway, so then the five men departed and came to Laish and saw the people who were there, how they lived in security, after the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and unsuspecting, lacking nothing that's in the earth and possessing wealth, and how they were far from the Sidonians and had no dealings with anyone. So they're kind of out in the middle of, every, of nowhere, but they've got everything. It's, it's a very quiet, peaceful life, and, and they have prosperity there as well. The Lord's blessing it. Well, it's part of the land. I would expect it to be. It's, it's in the, the area under Gibeon's control. So <clears throat> anyway, so that they, they don't have any dealings with anybody. So they just mind their own business, go about their business, and they all do well. And when they came to their brothers at Zorah and Eshtael, so they've come back, <clears throat> the bro- they said to them, what do you report? All right, so what's the report of the spies going to look like here? They said, arise and let us go up against them, for we have seen the land, and behold, it's very good. And will you do nothing? Don't be slow. Go in and enter and possess the land. As soon as you go, you're going to come to an unsuspecting people. The land is spacious, for God has given it into your hands, a place where there's no lack of anything that's in the earth. So 600 men of the tribe of Dan, armed with weapons of war, set out from Zorah and Eshtaol and went up and camped at Kiriath-Jerim in Judah. On this account, the place is called Mahani Dan, which means Camp of Dan. Kiriath Jerem seems to mean something which seems pretty paradoxical. Frankly, it means city of forest. So they come up, and now they call it Mahani Dan because it's west of Kiriath Jerem. So it's not in Kiriath Jerem. This is west of there where they encamped. Now, Kiriath Jerem continues to be a really important place for about 120 years from the time of Saul, or Samuel actually, all the way up until the time David has the ark brought to the city of Jerusalem. The ark is in Kiriath Jerem, and it's overseen there by a man named Abinadab. And so it brings prosperity where it is. So Kiriath Jerem has always been a place of prosperity. Before the ark, then it was a place of prosperity, already blessed by God, and it was greatly blessed by God once the ark was there. And so they passed on from there to the hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. Then the five men who had gone to scout out the country of Laish said to their brothers, Do you know that in these houses there are an ephod, household gods, a carved image, and a metal image? Now, therefore, consider what you're going to do. And they turned aside there and came to the house of the young Levite at the home of Micah and asked him about his welfare. Now he's already told him he was doing well. So, they, oh, hey, there are gods there. There's valuable stuff over there in the house of Micah. It, it's, it's a very, this whole story, why did they not just go into Laish? It was already prosperous, and it had already been prophesied that it was going to come into their hands. Why did they not just go into the land? In the... Um, gospel, Jesus is continuing the discourse about, you know, yesterday he was saying, I only do the things that I see the Father doing. Those are the things that I do, and greater things will happen so that you can marvel at those things. The one thing the Father has committed to the Son, he says, in order that the Son would be honored like the Father, the Son has been given judgment. He's been given that authority in order that they would honor and respect the Son in the same way they honored and respected the Father. So now he says, I can do nothing on my own. And he says later, you can't either. (laughs) We can't do it without the Holy Spirit operating in us. We can't do things on our own. He says, as I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. And that's important for us. We need to be those kind of same people. What do we hear? And do we judge things according to what we hear and what we see? 
Do we seek our own will or do we seek the will of the one who sent us? If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. That's true under Jewish law. You can't just be the sole witness. He said, there's another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. In other words, believe the testimony of John. You can believe it. It's true. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony I have is greater than that of John. So first he says, I'm going to give you the witnesses. First, there's another who bears witness about me, and that's John. But the testimony I have is greater than that of John for the works, that's the second testimony, that the Father has given me to accomplish the very works that I'm doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So these works point to a larger truth. They point to where he comes from. They point to the one who sent him, and therefore that he has been sent by the Father. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you've never heard, his form you've never seen, and you don't have his word abiding in you, for you don't believe in the one whom he has sent. So you could have the testimony of the Father. He's already testified about me in his word and in all these other ways, but you reject that testimony because you don't have his word abiding in you, and you don't believe in the one whom he sent. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it's they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So the scriptures bear witness about me, and that's the Father's voice. I don't receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. See, even though I don't need your testimony, I don't need you to glorify me, I do know that you don't have the love of God within you. I've come in my Father's name, and you don't receive me. It's as simple as that. I come in my Father's name, and you don't receive me. And that's exactly what John tells us in the prologue. He came to his own, and his own received him not. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. So somebody seeking their own glory, a self-seeking person who makes much of himself, you'll buy that. Yep, you'll buy all into that. You'll go all in on it, and you'll worship that person. You'll raise him up, put him on a pedestal. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? So what you're doing is you're, you're measuring people based on, oh, how do other people receive them? And if other people receive them well, then I will too. He says, no, 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 that's not the way you do it. And they should be very clear on that because that's exactly what they can see in David. David was, uh, Samuel was there ready to anoint one of the sons of Jesse, and he goes through the entire roster and God says, no, 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 no. You see things the wrong way, Samuel. You, you, what you see is what you want to anoint, but I see something different. I see the heart. And so wait until I tell you and then anoint. And, and it's a big problem in the world today. What we see is what we think is fruit can frequently be just false fruit. I, I can, Suzanne and I were talking about something um, yesterday, actually, we we're talking about a church that we both, you know, are familiar with, and we know people have gone there in times past. Well, the pastor there led that church, and it got to be a big church. A lot of good things happened in that church, but at the same time, he raised his wife up, and she was the head of uh, women's ministry there. She wrote books. She had a, had a large women's ministry. Well, at the same time, she was out running around in the city where they are, and and well known for being a completely different person out in the world. And she was having affairs with many men and all this other stuff, and, and he knew it, and the elders knew it, and they, they didn't ask either her or him to step down. 
even though it finally became public and then he moved, went somewhere else, and then he anointed the next guy who came in and he was all about money. He gave his wife a Ferrari for Christmas and all this stuff. Well, in addition, they were sending out other people. Well, one of them went to my hometown, started a church there, started cheating on his wife. But in the, in the meantime, it, the, the elders of that church were going to people and saying, hey, you need to give a few hundred dollars because he really would like a pair of Gucci loafers. And we got to get those for the pastor. That's self-seeking. That's self-glorification. If you can't step down because of immorality, then then there's something really, really wrong. But the problem is they drew crowds. And that's not the only time that I've seen it, that that people won't step down. I mean, Jimmy Swaggart was a perfect example. I knew a guy who had been one of his bodyguards. And when Jimmy Swaggart started um, sleeping with prostitutes and stuff, the Assemblies of God called him to, to their uh, headquarters in Missouri and told him, you got to step down for a season of time. And Swaggart's response was, according to this guy at least, and it must be true because he didn't do it, was, no, 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 the church will fall apart if I'm not there. Well, if it's built on you, then it's built on sinking sand. And, and I think that's our biggest problem is we fall in love with celebrity preachers. We fall in love with all these people, and we don't fall in love with Jesus. We're not following him. We're following a pastor. We're following a teacher. It's a serious problem in the church today. So he says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and don't seek the glory that comes only from God? It may not look like glory to you. Don't think that I will accuse you to the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses on whom you've set your hope. But if you believe Moses, you'd believe me, for he wrote of me. The Samaritans gave testimony to that because they believed that he was the prophet that Moses had written about. They're not believing it here in Israel. But if you don't believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And they would argue with that and say, well, we believe his words. We believe Moses' writings. We don't find you there. Well, it's because you're blind. It's because you're not seeing truthfully. In the Acts lesson today, we, we pick up kind of with where we left off yesterday. We were repeating a couple of verses here. Saul approved of his, Stephen's, execution. And, and Luke had to have known that based on his, his uh, contact with Paul. He had to have talked to Paul about this. There's no question that he did, because I've, I've already shown you in a couple of different places going forward, beginning at about Acts 16, Luke is part of the action. He's with Paul in Philippi, for instance, and so because he, he says, we— the, the uh, pronouns change from they to we. So he had to have known that Saul approved of the execution from talking to Saul himself. Saul is Paul, right? I mean, I've told you that before. Saul um, is, is his Hebrew name. Paul is his Greek name. Those are two different things. It's not that God gave him a new name. No, he just used that name of <laughs> among the, the Greeks and the, and the non-Jewish world. And the main reason was because Saul sounds like a, a word that, that refers to a little boy who switches his butt when he walks. <laughs> so he went by Paul. There's, if you want to argue with me with that, then you're going to have to find the passage where God changed his name because he didn't do it. <clears throat> and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. We talked about that yesterday. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul, Paul, was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. I mean, he, he was a zealot. He was after the church. He wanted to destroy this movement utterly. Now those who were scattered went abroad, went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria. And I want you to go back a little bit with me, too. They were all scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So, as I said yesterday, in Acts 1... Jesus tells them, you're going to be 
my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So here, they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, the one who told they would be his witnesses in all these places. So <clears throat> Philip, the deacon, not the apostle, because remember, the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, so it's got to be the deacon Philip, went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Now, where is that city? I believe, personally, that it's the city in Samaria that Jesus went to in John 4. And he talks there about um, reaping and har- sowing and reaping. So I believe Philip went and, and may have thought to himself, you know what, I think I'm going to go where Jesus has already been, and I'm going to tell him the rest of the story. And it seems likely because the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by him, mostly because they had already had contact with Jesus. And so now he's going to reap the harvest, not the harvest that he sowed, the harvest that was sown when they, the, Jesus and the disciples, spent two days in Samaria. And so there's much joy in the city. They, they understand now the fullness of the gospel. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. Now, these are the things Jesus was just talking about. If somebody comes in his own name, you'll receive him as great. And he was doing what? He was doing magic. Well, that's different from what um, Philip is doing there. He did signs. Signs are different than magic. Signs point to a greater reality. Signs point to who sent Philip. He came in the name of Jesus and did these things as signs to authenticate the one who sent him. Simon practiced magic. That authenticated him. And we see it. He said that he himself was somebody great. So magic draws attention to the magician. The signs and wonders point to the one who sent that person. It says they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying this man is the power of God that's called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. So they were amazed. And we're told, we, uh, Luke uses a lot of the same language here. When we talk about Philip, they, with one accord, they paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. There was much joy is the result of that. Here it says they paid attention to Simon saying this man is the power of God that's called great. It drew attention to himself. They paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. They weren't going to be baptized into the name of Simon. They just marveled at him. They were amazed at what he did. But it pointed to him. Well, there's no salvation in the name of Simon. It just points to him. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing great signs and miracles, he was amazed. So they were amazed at Simon. He's amazed at the signs and the miracles that are done in the name of Jesus through this deacon Philip. And that is what we always need to be clear about in everything that we do. It needs to point to Jesus. It can't be about self-aggrandizement. It can't be about enriching ourselves or building our reputation. No, it has to be building the reputation and the glory of Jesus among men and women to whom we speak. It's always about him. It's never about me, the teacher. It's never about me, the preacher. It's never about me, the one who does anything. It's always got to be pointing to Jesus. If not, it's just magic. And all it does is point to us, and there's nothing salvific in my name 
There's nothing salvific about John. John needs a Savior in the same way Simon needed a Savior. Let's be very clear what we're worshiping and who we're ascribing honor and glory to.